And guys, I'll tell you this as we start today. I've always believed that the world's most desperate need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am more convinced today than ever before that what our world is starving for, looking for, and longing for is an encounter with a Savior. Now, we're committed here at the Cross Loganville to see your story connected to Christ and others. We want to see you really experience the fullness of the gospel. We want to see every man and woman, guy and gal, young person that walks on this campus, we want to see you fully alive in Christ. That's what we want to see. But we want to see your story connected with other people as well, meaning small groups. We, we're making a big push right now for small groups and to see you get involved. We want to see you uh, connected with others, meaning your world. And that's where I'm going to kind of break it down today of what it means to connect and infiltrate uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world in which you live. Now, Dustin did an incredible job. I was able to uh, watch your message the other morning. Not that I wanted to watch it the other morning, but I watched it the other morning. Let me explain. I wanted to see Dustin's uh, message from last Sunday. Barb and I, when we flew back in from Israel, we landed uh, in Newark at about 5.15. And so after we went through customs and all that, it's, it's like, sweet, man, we're going to be able to, to get on a plane and shoot on down to Atlanta. Well, we got there, and after we uh, went through customs or whatever, we got to the gate, and they're like, your flight has been postponed. It will be leaving at 8 p.m. It's like, no problem. We can handle 8 p.m. That'll get us into Atlanta at about 10 p.m. Well, we sat there, and they're like, well, that flight now has been postponed. It's not going to leave until 9.30. I was like, all right, so we'll leave at 9.30. That'll get us into Atlanta at about 11.30, but still, I'll be able to sleep in my own bed tonight. That 9.30 got postponed till 11, and then it went to 12, then it went to 1.30, then it went to 2.30, and they promised us that we would be on a plane leaving Newark at 3.30 a.m. heading back to Atlanta, and they canceled that flight as well. So here I am, Barb and I, with a few other people, and I'm like, I have just left the Holy Land, and I have entered purgatory. What <laughs> is going on? So we stayed at the airport all night, and they had us booked on an 8 a.m. flight, and I thought, 8 a.m., it's going to be 10, whatever. And so we were the last two people that were able to stand by, and we got on a 6 a.m. flight, and I was so happy to be on a 6 a.m. flight leaving Newark and finally got home. But I was like, all right, Lord, this ain't going to steal my joy. This ain't going to rob me of your peace. But it tried really hard, so... Uh, <laughs> I was so happy to be home, and uh, it is good to be back for real. But anyway, during that time, while I'm sitting in Newark, Dustin, I had plenty of time to watch your sermon from last week, and so I really enjoyed it when he was talking about the aroma, and really, what do you smell like, and who do you resemble, and what's leaking forth out of your life, and I was sitting there watching it going, man, what a great, great word. I mean, what do you smell like? What do you smell like to you? the body of Christ, and what do you smell like to the world in which you live? Now, here's my question as I start today. I want you to gauge, uh, I want you to, to tap in with me here. How many people do you know right now in your life, family, friends, coworkers, classmates? This applies to every person sitting in this room. How many people do you know right now that is a candidate for the life-changing trans? Forming work of Jesus Christ in their own personal journey. 
How many lost people, pagan people, confused people, misguided people do you know? Who's going to share Christ with them? Who's going to extend the love of Christ? Now, who comes to your mind when you think about that? If you are a repentant person who have placed your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, Jesus calls you the salt of the earth. And I floated in the Dead Sea, and I know what salty water feels like. But he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're to help flavor, preserve. You're able to, you're able to do a lot of things in this world, man, that people are starving for. You're the salt of the earth. That's what he calls me. He didn't say I got a boat on it. He said, that's who you are. He says, you're the light of the world. When you see all the darkness and the confusion around you, God goes, that's who you are. If you're a repentant, blood-bought child of, uh, of God, he says, you're salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And uh, you're to go into all the world. And you're to go into all the world and make disciples. And you're to go into all the world and share your faith. And you're to go into all the world. Who? All of us. 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your lives. Always be ready to give an answer or make a defense for the hope that you have. Sanctify Christ. Live holy. And I've been on this kick for the last few weeks that every person under my voice, every person that claims the name of Christ, we've been called to live holy lives, sanctified unto the Lord, not flirting with the things of the world, not diseased and contaminated with the things of the world. Sanctify Christ and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Jude verse 3 says, contend for the faith once and for all that was entrusted to you. So each and every one of us has been called by God to go into the world and to make disciples, to share the good news of the gospel. I started thinking about this. With so many of our people here in church, why are we so reluctant? And why are we so hesitant? And why do we refuse to share our faith with anybody else? And I started thinking, Rick, just uh, simple thoughts. I was like, a lot of people won't do it because of fear. They're afraid. They have these mind monsters, and they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to share because I'm afraid to. Other people say, I, I, I'm not going to share, Tim, because I don't feel qualified. Can I tell you something? Qualified? When Jesus selected those early disciples, Capernaum, Cana, we were there. Peter, James, John, all those guys were probably 16, 17 years old. When Peter stood on the steps of the temple on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 were saved, he was not qualified. Even Acts 4.13 says when they looked at him, they recognized they were unlearned, uneducated, unschooled people. But they took note because these cats had been hanging out with Jesus. Qualified. It's not an excuse, but a lot of people say, well, I just, I don't feel qualified enough. Some people would say, well, I, I just don't want to be too pushy. Well, if people are on their way to hell, you can't push them any further. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and bring a little illumination there. You can't push them any further. You're a witness. You're salt of the earth. You're light of the world. I think the major reason people don't share their faith is they're complacent. They're satisfied that God would save them and their family and Everybody appears to kind of be walking close to the gospel, but I think it's so easy, Danny, for people just to get complacent. Well, I, I know enough. I'm okay now, and we should never be complacent. 
We should never be sad, uh, satisfied with medi uh, mediocrity in our lives. We should never be satisfied with that. Sanctify Christ as Lord. I got good news for you. We don't need a degree in order to share our faith. We don't need a degree. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have all the answers. Matter of fact, all you've got to have is an encounter with Jesus Christ where you have personally met him and he's rocked your world. Then you're qualified to go out and share him with others. You're a witness. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. And that's kind of what I want to break down for you today. Go into all the world, filled with the Holy Spirit, clothed in righteousness. Go take my good news to the world. So when Peter and the guys were in the upper room and we went to the spot of the upper room where Jesus says, y'all go wait there where the Holy Spirit falls. He says, now take the gospel to Jerusalem. We were there. Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Can I tell you, the remotest parts of the earth is usually where you find Jesus today. The Catholic influence, the Muslim influence, the influence there in Jerusalem, there's very little indicators that Jesus is even there. Because he's not. The tomb is empty and he left and he empowered people to take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. But that's our assignment and I want to give you three practical ways to share your faith today. These are simple. These are doable. And I promise you, every person in this room can implement what I'm talking about. First thought would be this. You've got to use what you have. You've got to use what you have. The gospel is oftentimes shared by some very unlikely candidates, if you will. For an example, there's a guy by the name of Levi we read about in the gospels. Now, if you don't know Levi, he was a despised tax collector. When you start to study his life, he was probably despised by most people because he was probably cheating and ripping some people off in the process. We know Zacchaeus being a tax collector, that's what he did. But when Jesus changed Levi's life and gave him the name Matthew, one thing he wanted to do was to tell his posse, his, work, his buddies, he wanted to tell his his friends about Jesus, but he didn't know how to do it because he didn't have all this training. He wasn't a preacher. He didn't have all this theological depth in him. But when you start to study his life, it's like he wanted to introduce others to Jesus. And so he was like, what do I do? How can I do it? Well, he knew how to do one thing and he knew how to do one thing well. He knew how to throw a party. And there's a lot of us sitting here that knows how to throw a party. A lot of us, when we were hell-bent and drinking like guppies, we knew how to throw a party. And I can tell you right now, if you know how to throw a party, you can invite people over. And that's what Levi, Matthew, did. He just threw a party. So he threw some burgers on the grill, broke out the cornhole boards, sent out a text to a few of his boys and said, I want y'all to come and hang with me for a while. Luke picks up this story. Jesus saw a tax collector named Matthew, Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. Listen to this. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. I want you to be my disciple. I believe in you. I believe you've got what it takes to be just like me, Jesus said. And it says he left everything, and he started following Jesus. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet. Loganville terminology, he threw a party in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. 
Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, those who were cheating people and ripping people off and pagans, many, many of the tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But when the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law saw what was happening, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus said, uh, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call those who think, I've, I've come to call not those who think they're religious, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. What did Levi do? What did Matthew do? He threw a party. He used what he had. He used what he knew he was good at doing. There's a lot of you in this room that are good at different things. And for some of you, you've never thought one moment about using what you've got to introduce people to Jesus. And it's simple. That's all you've got to do. What do you have? One of the bullet points I make here is you can use what you have to reach those you love. You can use what you've got. There's people in this room right now that have a boat. There's some that love to go out and wakeboard and all this. You've got a boat. Others use their boat for fishing. You can invite lost people to go out on your boat with you. And I got good news for you. When you take them out on your boat, if you get far enough off land, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> I want to take you out on my boat. Go have fun. Fish a little bit to say, hey, I want to build a relationship. Can I share my story with you? What do you have? Some of the people in this room right now have season tickets. Whether it's to football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever. You can use those tickets. Some of y'all work for companies that have corporate tickets. You can take those tickets and invite someone to go with you. Someone that's lost. Someone that doesn't know the Lord. You can use what you've got. Some of you know how to cook in here. And some of you don't. But the ones who know how to cook. You can prepare a meal for somebody when they're hurting that is lost. Even those who are saved, you can reach out. You can invite people into your house for a meal. And if you know how to cook and you invite people over, people's ears are a lot more perked open to hear what you've got to say after you've filled up their stomach. If you use your time, your resources, whatever you've got, what do you have that can be used? I promise you, you will have great impact in the lives of others when you start to steward some of those things you've got. You're a plumber. You're an electrician, you're a coach, you're an accountant. There's people all the time that needs help trying to figure out how to do their taxes. Steve Trailer's getting ready to start another finance class. Why? There's tons of people that come in here trying to figure out how to do a budget. We've got all kinds of tracks we'll offer you. There's people that have marriages falling apart and Chad and Elaine with their marriage track. We want to help you. That's what they got. It's like, hey, we've got a marriage. Well, I do too. It's not perfect. Well, neither is mine. But we can help people. What do you have? When I first came to faith in Christ, October of 85, I started walking with Jesus, and I'm like, what do you, what do you got? Well, I, I had a baseball and a glove. So when I got through playing ball at the end of the 88 season, I started going out doing clinics and camps. I, that's all I had was a baseball and a glove and a bat, and I knew how to teach others how to play the game. I'd teach you how to throw and how to field and how to hit certain things. We went to Vancouver. 
We were doing for two weeks these camps in Surrey, British Columbia, right outside of Vancouver. Well, the first year I go up there, uh, there was this little seven-year-old dude by the name of Adam that came to the camp. I was like, that was cool. And there was a ton of kids. Well, the next year we go back and do the camp. Adam's now eight. So we're sharing baseball and we're sharing our faith and we share the gospel. Adam's eight years old and he comes up and he goes, I want to give my life to Jesus. He's eight years old. And it's like, okay, come on, we're going to pray it up. Pull his mom and dad aside when we kind of have our wrap-up banquet and go, let me tell you what Adam did. They're like, we're so happy. We take him to church. We've been praying for him. Well, Adam becomes my pen pal. His mom and dad said, if he can send you postcards, would you write him back? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll stay in contact with Adam. So we stayed in contact. So when he was 12 years old, his parents sent me a note and said, hey, we got to tell you what's up. Adam's Little League team won Canada, and they're going to play in the Little League World Series in Williamsport. I'm like, stay hot. That's so cool that Adam's going to get to do that. And so he played in the World Championship at 13. So he's 16 years old, and Canadian Thanksgiving happens in uh, October. And so his parents were like, he'd like to come down and see you and Barb. I'm like, that would be awesome. So he comes down. He spends about four days with us. And I was like, man, this is really cool. We started a relationship when he was seven years old because all we had was a baseball and we knew how Christ had impacted us and we were just sharing it. So Adam graduates from high school. He is the first round, fourth overall pick by the Baltimore Orioles that year in the draft. He, to this day, is still the highest selected Canadian player ever selected in the Major League Baseball draft. Adam goes to the big leagues. He's playing with the Orioles. I was like, no way. What happened? We just use the baseball. What do you have? Now, what do you have? What, what has God placed in your hand? What is God wanting to use in your hand to reach others with the gospel? What, what is it? You can't sit back and do nothing. I promise you we can reach Loganville and beyond if every person in this room becomes intentional with using whatever is in your hand. What's in your hand? What do you got? Two elbows and a shoulder surgery? God used that to help me identify with other players that were going through arm injuries. It's like, what would you have done? That was common ground. There's common ground all around you, and God is wanting you to use whatever you've got to redeem his narrative to share it with other people. We've got to get intentional about it. Here would be the second thing. Invite someone to church or a small group. The power of invitation. We can all do this. John tells a powerful story in chapter 4 about a woman who had a sketchy track record. She had been married multiple times and was shocked up with another dude. But when she encounters Jesus, Jesus offers her living water, and it radically changes who she is. She even goes back down into the village and starts telling others, y'all got to come see this dude. Pick it up in John 4, 28. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did, unimplied emphasis, and love me anyway. And forgives me and cherishes me and pursues me with his reckless love. Come see a man. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman was sketchy. You think you've got a jacked up narrative? So did she. She knew how to do one thing. She knew how to go back to the people that looked at her 
with condescending views and to say, hey, I just met one that loves me and forgave me and gave me dignity. Y'all got to come meet him. And that's what she did. She had a story to tell, but her story was, let me invite y'all to come out and meet this guy that I just met. She didn't preach a sermon. She didn't memorize scripture. There's no cool prayer that is offered by this woman. The only thing she had was an encounter, and she invited others to meet the one that she met. And some of you have met Christ in this church. Some of you have had an encounter, and God has done something, and he goes, go invite others. First service, my buddy Tom was sitting right here, Tom Taylor. And it was so cool that I met Tom in baseball years ago. But Tom really started liking our family because he really started liking my son, Jesse, honestly. So Jesse ends up building a friendship with his son, Cruz. Cruz ends up coming to our house and in our living room prays to receive Christ. A few weeks later, Jesse baptizes Cruz right here in our church. So they start coming to church. Tom then goes from just being an occasional Sunday morning to a pretty consistent Sunday morning. He starts coming to our men's group on Wednesday night. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can't hide on Wednesday night with the way we do things. And so Tom starts coming, and all of a sudden he says, I've invited this dude, Blake, to be here tonight. Who is Blake? Well, Blake's a guy we met at the gym. And so Tom invited Blake to be there that Wednesday night. So Blake shows up with his brother. We end up talking that night. And Blake ends up reaching out to me the next day saying, is there any way we can meet? I met Blake that Friday afternoon. Blake on my back porch, man, repents, tears flooding his eyes. He responds to the gospel. We baptized Blake a few weeks ago. Now, Tom's the one that invited Blake to come on a Wednesday night. And so it was so cool. I'm like, well, that's cool. Now, Blake and his family are coming here. Liz, his wife, is a cop in, in, in a school here. She kind of does the uh, school police thing. Well, Liz is looking at what she's got. And she's been trained to deal with all the social media and sexting and all this other kind of stuff. She sends a note to our people the other day saying, is there any way I can help educate the families in the church and let them know how to deal with some of this stuff with their teens? We didn't send out a note. She just said, that's what I got in my hand. Can I use it? January 7th. I finish preaching. I go back to the back corner. All of a sudden, Blake's brother, Chase, has been coming with Blake. He comes back there. He goes, I need to talk. I said, cool. He goes, you talk about being an A. I've been there. You talk about being a B. I've been staying there. But I'm at a place where I want to become a C. It's time for me to confess, man, and give my life to Christ. I'm like, come on, Chase. He goes, what is your schedule like this week? I said, uh, I'll leave for Israel tomorrow. Benji was about... 10 feet away. I said, come here, son. Benji, come here. Chase has been a B. Chase, he's getting, he's he's at the place where it's time for him to confess Christ and repent. Benji, would you meet with Chase this week? He goes, absolutely. Two days later, I get a note from Benji. Met with Chase, with Blake. Chase prays to receive Christ. Hey, we're on it. What happened, Tom? I'm just hanging out at the gym. And saw a dude that had been showing up over here occasionally and invited him. What are you doing? You walk into the class and you see people around you and they're students, fellow students. You're like, they're hurting. They're confused. Hannah came home and told me that story. She started hanging out with Kara Bloomquist. 
Kara, this, this girl is hurting. What do I do? Kara started coaching her. Hannah was praying for this little girl, but she recognized the need. You walk into a gym. What do you see? I don't see buffed up muscles. I look into the eyes and see sheep without a shepherd longing for direction. Hey, being able to have a 20-inch bicep ain't going to change your eternity. It might make you look good when you go to the beach, but you only go there about six days out of the year, so hang with them. But what do you see? What do you see? Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. What do you see? There's people in your world right now that are searching. All they're waiting for is somebody to invite them. When you reach out and extend the love of Christ, God may use you to lead someone else to Christ. You want to hear something crazy? I'm looking at Jai right now. He moved here a few months back from the Dakotas. I've got a group with Jim Schroll, Chris Clanton, a few of my other buddies. We were meeting up here at the Harvest table. So we're in there one morning. Jai walks in. I said, Jai, what, what, what what's up, bud? How you doing? I'm Tim. Hey, I'm Jai. I'm looking for a Bible study. Oh, really? I don't know if they got one in here. Well, I went to another church, and they said they were having a Bible study, so I showed up, and I was wondering, oh, really? You went to another church? Well, let me tell you who I am and what we do. He's like, really? So this brother shows up on a Sunday morning, starts bringing his wife and kids here. He's now in a small group that meets here one of the nights, right? What do you, you look in his eyes and go, what, 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 are you, what are you looking for? Every person we meet, Esposito's looking for the Savior. They're looking for the King. They're looking for hope. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for freedom. Every person we meet. And Paul, we can invite him. And so I would encourage you to do so. I'll wrap it with this. Just share your story. Your story matters. I finally put on a new Your Story Matters bracelet. Mine broke on Friday. I had it on for nine months. I guess the Dead Sea Salt man wore it out the other day and cracked it. I don't know. But I wear this all the time. And I took 26 of these and handed it to every person that was a part of our trip. Even Ari, our Jewish tour guide who is orthodox and not a messianic follower of Jesus yet. I said, Ari, your story matters, man. Would you wear this? And he goes, absolutely. I said, it's got the cross logo on the bottom of it, just where you'll know. But Jesus loves you, bro. Your story matters. John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. The skeptics were criticizing Jesus, calling him a con artist, a sinner. Who does this dude think he is? But even the man that Jesus had brought healing to, the blind man, had Jesus' back. <laughs> he wasn't going to let him throw Jesus under the bus. John 9, 25. The blind man replied, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. That was his story. He had only encountered Christ minutes before. He hadn't memorized sermons. He hadn't read 14 Willard books. He hadn't gone through studies of eschatology. He didn't know what apologetics looked like. He hadn't studied end times. But he knew one thing. That dude I just encountered brought me from blindness to sight. That was his story. Some people go, well, I, I, I need to be around longer. This dude had been in the faith, if you will, for about... 
five minutes. Just started telling his story. That's all the story he had up to that point. What's your story? For some of you, you've got a lengthy story. For some of you, you haven't been walking with Jesus very long. They ask him, what did Jesus do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Sarcasm. Do you want to be a disciple of his as well? You don't want to hear what I got to say, but I love it. You want to be his disciple too? You're looking for what I was longing for. I just happened to catch it just a few minutes ago. The compelling word as we prepared to come back from Israel was this. I desire to see every person in this room contagious with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us on fire, unashamed, declaring to whoever we meet that there's hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something I did, and then I'm going to wrap it with this. The last day we were there, the last day we were there, we had been to the temple, we had gone to Caiaphas's palace, we, we had done the entire tour. We had stood on pavement that they know as part of the Via Della Rosa of where Jesus carried his cross, standing there, thinking this is where my Savior walked. This is where my Savior carried the cross as he was being led outside the gate to the place of the skull to be crucified. I'd been in Gethsemane where he sweat drops of blood. I'd been there. We'd gone to the empty tomb. But they let us go to the wailing wall, the west wall. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I'll probably dive into this more next week. But when Solomon has built a temple and Solomon is crying out to God, God comes back and says, Solomon, listen to me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. And right there at that wall, that temple wall, he says, I'm telling you, Solomon, every prayer that is offered here, my ear will always be inclined to it. There were Orthodox Jews there praying. So we put on a yarmulke, the guys. It's like I'm going to pray up against that wall right there. And I went up there and started praying. I leaned into the wall, all these other, other people around. But I said, God, you made a promise that you would always be inclined to the prayer of your people right here. I'm under the blood. I know you. You grafted me in. But I leaned in and I started praying. I started praying for Barb. I started praying for my kids that they would be on fire and they would get the gospel. I started praying for our staff here at the Cross Loganville. I started praying for our people. I started praying and I felt like God said, pray and believe that this 2018 is a year of increase. I want to blow the numbers out. I want more people coming to know me. I want more people discipled. I want more people serious about it. So I leaned into the wall believing that God is going to bring about in 2018 a year of increase here at the Cross Loganville. But I know that it's going to require that each and every one of us who are called by the, his name, that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, that we would turn from any wickedness, sin, that we would press in. He'll bring about healing. One of the things that we've got to deal with thoroughly is not pacifying and tolerating sin at any level. 
That's every person that comes in here. We do not want to be contaminated vessels that the king cannot use to pour out his spirit in and through. We've got to, we've got to repent. We've got to let it go. So I, I was looking just saying, yeah, Dustin, this is where we've got to go. I would challenge you today as I offered on the front side. How many of you know of a person who is a candidate for the supernatural life-changing work of the gospel in their lives right now? I would take out your paper this week. I would take it out even now and go, one, two, three, four, five. Who are the five people right now that I'm going to start praying for daily? Who are the five people that God is impressing on my heart to lift up before the king? Who are the five people that I'm going to share my story with? Who are the five people that I'm going to invite to church? Who are the five people that I'm going to be intentional with starting today? If each one of us reached five people, this place would explode. And then if those five would go out and reach five more, it would explode. I'm not looking for numbers. I'm looking for people to be set free. We don't measure success at the Cross Loganville with how many butts are in the seats or how many baptisms. We measure it by spiritual growth. We measure it by spiritual surrender. And we believe that if every person sitting here was ghosted and on fire by the Holy Spirit and got serious about reaching Loganville and beyond and training, what would it look like? Who are the five you're going to pray for? What is holding you back? What sin are you pacifying that's keeping you contaminated and you're, you're complacent with it? God wants to free you today. 